0: Thank you, choir and instrumentalists, that was absolutely beautiful, and we appreciate your service and your calling us to worship the Lamb of God. Your pastor, Jeff, has been a friend of mine for several years now. He and I first met out in Fort Worth, Texas, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and of course we have continued to know each other now that we both live here in Virginia and uh, through the Ph.D. program there at Liberty. And it is a privilege to be here with you this morning. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. I was, I was sharing with your pastor, I actually spoke with Jeff uh, last night, and uh, Jeff was sharing with me about the... He, for those of you who don't know, he's working with a la- rather large youth retreat down in Florida this, this weekend, and uh, he, he was sharing with me how, how hundreds of students... Uh, Literally, uh, well over a 100 students last night were down at the altar on their face before God, praying about what God would have them to do and how they could better serve Him. And so I I I asked if I could share that with you this morning, and and he said I could. So I wanted to share that with you. Y'all have a man of God for a pastor. And I pray and I hope that every day that you get a chance, you let him know how much you appreciate him. You let him know how glad you are that he is your pastor. Y'all just let him know how much you love him. Because let me tell you, the choicest arrows of the enemy are aimed at pastors. Satan would like nothing more than to hurt a pastor, than to discourage him, to get him down. But you've got a warrior for a pastor. And so you support him, you encourage him, you love him, you let him know how much he means to you. That's just, that's free, that... That wasn't part of my sermon at all. That had nothing to do with what I wanted to talk about. But Lord just laid it on my heart to share that with you this morning. Uh, What I actually want to talk with you about this morning uh, plays off what, what Jeff's been speaking about. You know, Jeff's been talking to you about what it means to be a warrior for God, a warrior for Christ. And he's been going through and describing to you all those various attributes, all those various characteristics, all those various steps that we can take to be true warriors for Christ. But you know what? It, it doesn't do much good to put on all the armor of God and then sit on your couch. It doesn't do much good to put on all, go through all the training exercises and then never do anything with it. You see, we don't just have a mindset, we don't just have a faith, we don't just have a great defender and protector who empowers us to be warriors for the kingdom of God, to then do nothing with it. I want to talk to you this morning about the warrior's mission. The warrior's mission. You know, at the the end of that passage there in the book of Ephesians that you're you're looking at, I'll I'll just foreshadow what Jeff, I know, is getting ready to get to at some point here in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 21 through tw- and 22, or, or I'm sorry, in verses 19 through 20, you see what the warrior is ultimately like in the Apostle Paul there. It says there at the end of the passage that he's asking people to pray for him. Why? So that there can be boldness in his mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. In proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's not even our text for this morning. But Paul says the reason you need to be a warrior warrior for Christ, is so that you can make boldly known the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. I want to open this morning with just a story, a story about a little old man who lived in Sydney, Australia. It may be a story some of you have heard before, but I I wanted to share it again. Uh, There was a Baptist pastor in London And one Sunday morning at the close of service, someone got up and said, Pastor, I'd like to give a testimony. The pastor knew he'd preached a little too long. He was running late. And so he looked around and he said, you have three minutes. The person stood up and said, I just moved here to London. I used to live in Sydney, Australia. A few months back, I was visiting relatives and I was walking down George Street. George Street is in Sydney, going from the business area out to the colonial area. A strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you died tonight, are you going to heaven? I was astounded by these words. No one had ever asked, them, asked me that. I thanked him courteously. And all the way home, this puzzled me. I called a friend, and thank God he was a Christian, and he led me to Christ. That same pastor, a few days later, uh, was to fly out to Adela, Australia, you know, on the southern coast of Australia there. And, and he was in the middle of a He was preaching at a church there in a three-day series. And a woman came up to him for some counseling. He wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. She said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months ago, I was back visiting some friends there. And I was doing some shopping down on George Street. A strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway and offered me a pamphlet. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you died tonight, are you going to heaven? I was disturbed by those words. When I got home to a DLA, I I knew this Baptist church. I sought out the pastor and he led me to Christ. So I'm telling you, I'm a Christian. That pastor was now very puzzled. Twice in two weeks, he'd heard almost the exact same testimony. He then flew to Mount Pleasant Church in Perth. His teaching service series was over, and the senior deacon of that church took him out for a meal. And the deacon asked, and he began to ask the deacon, "Sir, how did you get saved?" He said, "I grew up in church. At the age of fifteen, I I grew up in church from the age of fifteen. I never made a commitment to Jesus. I just hopped on the bandwagon like everyone else." Because of my business ability, I grew to a place of influence. I was on a business trip to Sydney just three years ago. An obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? I tried to tell him I was a Baptist deacon, he wouldn't listen to me. I, I, I was seething with anger all the way home from Sydney to Perth. I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize, but he didn't. He agreed with that man in the doorway. He'd been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And he was right. My pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. One pastor flew home and he soon spoke at Keswick conventions in the Lake District and he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of the teaching series, four elderly pastors came up and explained that they too had been saved between 25 and 30 years prior by that little man on George Street. The following week, he flew to a similar convention in the Caribbean to missionaries. At the close of the service, 50... uh, uh, Several Three missionaries came forward to say between 15 and 25 years prior they had encountered that same man on George Street. Next, he, he spoke to chap, a chaplain convention in Atlanta, Georgia, and to over a thousand naval chaplains. Afterwards, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And, and he asked the chaplain, How did you become a Christian, sir? It was miraculous, the chaplain, head chaplain said. I was riding on a naval battleship and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we were docked at Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I was blind drunk, got on the wrong bus, and got off on George Street. As I got off the bus, I thought I saw a ghost as this man jumped out in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand, and said, "'Sailor, are you saved?' "'If you were to die tonight,' Do you know that God do you know that you'd go to heaven? The fear of God immediately hit me. I was shocked sober, ran back to the ship and sought out the, cha- the chaplain. He led me to Christ. I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his, under his guidance. I am now in charge of a thousand chaplains who are bent on soul-winning daily. Six, min- six months later, he was in north, that pastor was in northeast India speaking to 5,000 Indian min- missionaries. At the time a Hindu a former Hindu came up to him and he asked him how did you come to Christ he said i grew up in a very privileged position i worked the indian diplomatic mission and i traveled the world i'm glad for the forgiveness in christ in the blood in his blood covering my sins i would be very embarrassed if people found out what i got into one period of diplomatic service took me to sydney I was doing some last-minute shopping, laden with toys and clothes for my children. I walked down George Street when a courteous, white-haired man stepped out in front of me and offered me a pamphlet and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you were denied tonight, would you go to heaven? I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, sought out our Hindu priest. He couldn't help me. But he advised me to satisfy my curious mind, I should go and talk to the missionary in the mission home at the end of the road. And that was good advice. That day that missionary led me to Christ. I quit Hinduism immediately and began to prepare for ministry. I left the diplomatic service and here, am I, here I am today, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries who have together led 100,000 people to Christ. My question for us this morning is twofold. First, are you saved? If you were to die tonight, do you know that you'd go to heaven? Could you answer that question in the affirmative? And if yes, my question for you is this. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? I'd like to call your attention to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And there at the beginning of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus presents the parable of the sowers, the sower in the soils. You remember this parable, I'm sure. A sower goes out to sow, and he throws seed, and some of it lands on the rocks. And and that seed is swallowed up by the thorns, or eaten by birds. Other seed fell... where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, but it had no depth of soil and quickly wilted away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and no crop came of it. Yet other seed fell into good soil, and as it grew up, it increased 30, 60, and 100-fold. And then Jesus comes to the explanation of the parable in verse 13 13 through 20. And this is where I want our attention to be this morning. And I'd like to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. And Jesus said to his disciples, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the ro- road where the word is sown, and when they hear it, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on, rocky gro- on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary, Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And and those are the ones on whom the seed was thrown on good soil. And they hear the word. And they accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would use us to bear fruit. Use us to bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Lord, use the proclamation of your word now. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see... When you have decided to follow Jesus, when you give your life to Him, something changes. Something snaps. And no longer are you content with the deceitfulness of riches. No longer are you content with what other people will think of you. No longer are you content with the lies of this world. Rather, you become consumed with bearing fruit. With bringing people to a knowledge of our savior just as that little old man down there on George Street was so i want us to answer a series of questions this morning questions that come from this passage in combination with the great commission and i want us to answer this really primarily this questions dealing with this one topic of the church's mission, of the warrior's mission. Why is it that we are supposed to proclaim this gospel? What is it that we are to proclaim? How do we go about proclaiming this? Uh, Who should we share this gospel with? When should we share this gospel? And where should we share this gospel? Because it is our mission as warriors of Christ to do so. First, what is Evangelism. What is this mission that we are supposed to share? Well, according to our text there in verse 14, it says this, the sower sows the Word. We are supposed to sow the Word of God. And what is the message of the Word of God? Well, according to 2 Timothy 3.14, it is simply this, that all Scripture leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the message of the Word of God. We are to be about proclaiming the Word. We are to be about proclaiming Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says this, Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You see, the the mission that we have is simply this, to go into all the world and to make disciples. That is the message of Scripture. To make disciples. That is the application of it. Now what is that that we are actually doing there? Well, let me just boil it down very simply for us. Everyone knows the ABCs, right? We know A, B, C, D. Let Let me just make it as simple as that. A, B, C. A is for admit. We have to admit that we are sinners. This is the first thing that we, we, we share as we go out on our mission, is to help people understand that they're sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Secondly, we need to help people believe. We want to call people to believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus came from heaven and died on a cross for our sins, and then rose from, our, from the dead, setting us free from our sins we need to believe in Jesus but don't think a mere intellectual belief will save you the bible tells us in the book of james that even the demons believe and they shiver listen just knowing the facts about god isn't good enough it's not enough to get make you right with god no we also have to confess jesus as our lord Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that he who believes in his heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, will be saved. We have to confess. It has behind it the idea of total surrender of oneself and instead confessing something totally new. I am following Jesus. Jesus is in charge of me. I will do what Jesus wants me to do. I have surrendered to him. That's what evangelism is. It's going and sharing that with people. Of course, you can't share what you don't have. So in a few minutes we'll have a time of invitation, and if you don't if you've never confessed Jesus is your Lord, I challenge you during that time to do just that. Second, how do we do evangelism? Well, I think we see here in this passage and throughout Scripture that there are many ways to share the gospel. That there are many ways to go about this mission that God has sent us to. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. If you were to walk into my study, you would see there on my study, on my bookshelf, 30 or 40 books on different ways of sharing the gospel. One's called questioning evangelism. And basically all that does is it tells you to go up to people and ask them questions. And eventually as you're asking folks questions, you'll have a way to share the gospel with them. Another one's about servant evangelism. I think that's an incredibly promising one. Uh, About where you go and you you do acts of kindness, acts of service for others in order to, to then share the gospel for them. Perhaps today when you're at your restaurant, if you go out to lunch after this, you could just look to your waiter or waitress there and ask them, is there a way I can pray for you? You know, that's an act of service. And then have them wait there at the table with you and you pray for whatever prayer request they have. You know, through that, you're showing them that God loves them, that this church loves them. Maybe if you, when you go into the fast food restaurant, you prepare up a little card and you say, you know, I'd like to get the meal of the person behind me in line as you go through the drive-thru. Could you just give them this little card? And it could be a card with information about how to share the gospel. There's lots of ways to serve people but we but part of the reason we serve people is so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel there's others there's confrontational evangelism there's door to door evangelism there's many many ways to share the gospel but you know for a God, for a, our mission to be effective it requires four elements it first requires a human heart you have to have someone to share the gospel with you can't just stand out on uh, out in the woods and proclaim the gospel You've got to tell it to somebody. Second, it requires the Holy Spirit. Listen, if God's Spirit isn't moving, God won't bless the sharing of His Word. We have to ask for God to be present in and amongst it. Third, it requires the Holy Scriptures, that when we share the Gospel, it must come from this. You know, a number of years back, I was on an airplane with a mentor of mine. And, and I, he was seated to my right, he was in the aisle seat, I was in the middle seat. And to my left, there was a, a Jewish man, an elderly Jewish man. And uh, as we got to talking, I got the opportunity to share with him some of my faith. And, and, the, and the guy thanked me for it, and we had a pleasant conversation. And after I got off the plane, uh, my mentor looked at me and he said, Robert, I'm, I'm so glad you shared. Let me just encourage you, though, next time you, you share... Take people to the Bible. You see, the content of our message must be what the Bible says. So it requires the human heart, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, and lastly, it requires a human herald. We've got to tell. God's plan is to use people to share the Scriptures. And let me say this as well we need to call for a decision. Jesus always asked people to follow him, and he always asked people to make a decision. You remember how when the rich young ruler came up to him, and Jesus asked, the rich young ruler says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him, and and he said, follow the law and the commandments, and he says, I've done this from my youth. And then Jesus looked at him and said, sell all you have and follow me. It says that man went away sad. You see, Jesus asked him to make a decision. He asked him to make a commitment. Now, that doesn't mean people will always accept it. They're always going to make that decision. But Jesus always challenges us to. Third, why is this our mission? Why are we supposed to evangelize the lost? Well, because Jesus commands it. Go, therefore, into all nations, making disciples of all people. That's a command. Jesus is saying, go. He's not giving you an option. If you are a Christian, you will share. And second, it's because it's how God saves people. You know, the will of God is for all men to be saved, according to 1 Timothy 2.3. But He's waiting on us to go and share. You see, the only way that people are going to come to heaven is for us to share the gospel. You know, I I have an evangelist friend who was on an airplane. He was sitting down... Lots of airplane stories today. Don't ask me why. I don't know why I've got so many airplane stories. Uh, But he was on an airplane the other day, and, and the person sitting next to him said, you know, I believe that getting to heaven... It, it's kind of like our, our flight here from Los Angeles to, to wherever they were flying. I can't even remember. But it's like our flight, you know, as we come into to L.A. here. Uh, we could have come by car, we could have come by train, we could have come by bus, we could have gone by plane. There's lots of ways to get to Los Angeles. And isn't that the mindset we're hearing so much? I mean, you pick up the cover of Time magazine this week, and it says that there's no longer hell anymore. And it challenges the very notion of that. But see, the Bible doesn't teach that. It says, that, See, in the Bible, we see in John 14, that Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And my evangelist friend turned and looked at him, and he said, you know, I'm glad the pilot of this airplane Isn't thinking the way you're thinking, because I'm glad the pilot of this airplane thinks there is only one way to get this airplane from where we're going to where we've been to where we're going. I'm glad that he's listening in on the radio control tower, and the control tower is saying to him, "All right, turn your plane at such and such a vector. I'm glad, bring your plane down at such and such an angle, and so forth." I'm glad he does that. I'm glad he doesn't think that that he can go any way he wants to, because if we did, we'd just crash land out in the ocean. You see, there's only one way to heaven, and that way is through Jesus. And Jesus expects his followers to go out and share him with others. Fourth, who should we share with? Well, from our passage here in Mark 14, we see in verse 15 that we should share with people with hard hearts. That the seed goes out and it, it gets, falls on those who will be eaten, who's, who will just be taken up by the devil. People who will never respond. We should share with those who are cowardly, we see in verses 16 and 17. The, the people who, who will quit church and who will quit on God when it's convenient. We should share with the worldly, those who are interested for a time, but ultimately they they get caught up with making money or with the desires of this life. And then we should share with those who will gladly receive it and bear fruit. Now, who should do this? It is my firm conviction that the message of Scripture is that every Christian is called to bear fruit. Listen, what is the sign according to this passage? What is the sign according to this passage that you're in good soil, that you're planted in Jesus Christ? So that you bear fruit. So that you bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. I think evangelism is one of the most talked about, least practiced disciplines in the Christian life. We have become so content to come into our church buildings, to sing wonderful songs, to hear a great message, and then to go out and do nothing different. We're afraid of what people will think if we begin to share the gospel with them. We're afraid of how people will react to us if we begin to share the gospel with them. Have we become like those those Jewish followers who on that first Palm Sunday so many years ago watched Jesus Himself as He came into Jerusalem and bowed down to Him, waving palm branches in front of Him because He was the Jesus they wanted. He was the Jesus they thought He should be, this conquering King. But when He was revealed to be the Jesus who He was, the Jesus dying on the cross... They were yelling, crucify Him. Have we become content to be that type of Christian? You have an incredible opportunity before you next week. I'm sure you've read the letter from Jeff there at the back of your bulletin. To invite someone to church with you, I would challenge you to do that. And I would challenge you not just to invite them, but to also look for a way to share the gospel with them. Death question When should we share the gospel? Back to the Great Commission, that word go, it literally means there, as you are going. Some of you are probably thinking, Robert, I have to go to work. I have to take care of my kids, I have, to, I, I have to do this, I have to do this. When do I have time to go and share the gospel? I want you to do just a little bit of math with me. When you go to work or you go to the beauty parlor or you go to the restaurant, how many people do you meet? Just add it up in your head. There's some. Okay. When you go wherever else you're going, how many people do you meet? There's some more. How many of those people you think don't know Jesus? The reality is many of you don't know. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as you are going, as you are living your daily life, live it in such a way that it, causes, that it gives you opportunities to share the gospel of Christ. You know what the most common reason people don't want to be a Christian is? According to studies and research, it's their Christian friends and neighbors. They look at us and they see us fighting with one another. They see us living in a way that looks exactly the way they do. They say, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to follow this Jesus? You know, even Gandhi said, when I read about Jesus, I want to become a follower of him. This is a paraphrase. But when I look at his followers, I don't want to. Are our lives different in such a way as to cause people to want the gospel? And then are we working towards such a way that we're saying, Oh God, give me someone to share with today. Listen, when you pray and begin to ask God to give you people to share with, you'd be amazed at how He does it. But the reality is we, we sit on our, our pews and we shake at the idea because we're scared. What will people think? What will people, how will people react to me? I might lose a friend. I might have a family member. And I'm not telling you that it, it can't be scary. The greatest evangelists I know still get scared when they share the gospel with people. But here's the truth. Almost every one of you does things every day that should frighten you to death. You're going to go get in a two-ton scrap of metal as you leave this place and drive it at 30, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. You're, you have skills and expertises that, that, that allow you to do things I couldn't dream of doing. And yet, many of you have come to this place, have come to church all your lives. And have you ever had the privilege of sharing the gospel with somebody? Oh, it's wonderful. Nothing compares to it. You see, when we're supposed to evangelize is at every opportunity we can. We're always supposed to be looking. Oh God, how can you steer this conversation to yourself? And then lastly, where should we go? evangelize. We should evangelize, share the gospel everywhere. We should share it in the road, in the workplace, in the dark places, in the exciting places. You notice this farming method? It may not be the most effective farming method, but the farmer's method is simply this. I'm going to get the seed out wherever I can. Everywhere I go, I'm putting the seed down because I want people to know The word. I want people to know my Savior, Jesus Christ. Eight months later, the London pastor was preaching in Sydney, Australia. He asked the local Baptist minister if he knew about the little elderly white-haired man who handed out tracts on George Street. He replied, Yes, I do. His name is Mr. Jenner, J-E-N-N-E-R. Although I don't think he does it anymore because he is so frail and elderly. Two nights later, they went to meet him in his little apartment. They knocked on the door and this tiny, frail old man greeted them. He sat them down and made them tea. He was so frail that the tea was slopping out of the cup as he brought it to them. The London preacher sat there and told him of all these accounts of the previous three years. He told them his story. Mr. Jenner then began to tell him his story. I was riding on an Australian warship. I was living a reprobate life. In a crisis, I really hit the wall. One of my colleagues, to whom I had given literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. I was so grateful to God, I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength, I did that. Sometimes I was ill and couldn't, but I made up for it the days I missed, missed it all, at, all other, at other times. I wasn't paranoid about it. I've done this for over 40 years. In my retirement years, the best place was St. George Street, where I saw hundreds of people a day. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tract. In my 40 years of doing this, I've only heard of a dozen or so people making a decision for Jesus. That was until today. You know, I would say that he ha- there has to be an incredible commitment there. Over the course of those forty years, he led perhaps a hundred. He shared the gospel with perhaps a hundred and forty-seven thousand people. Let me ask you a question: If you were to die tonight, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And if you do. What are you doing about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You that because we know Him, because we have admitted that we aren't right with You, that we're sinners, but that we have believed in Your Son. We believe that He came and He died on a cross and He rose from the dead for us. And Lord, we have confessed Him as our Lord surrendering to Him, that we can be saved. Lord, I pray if there's someone here right now who does not know You, that they would simply be willing to say right now to You, Jesus, I surrender to You. I admit admit I'm a sinner. I believe You died on a cross and rose from the dead. And I confess You as Lord, surrendering to You. Thank You for saving me. Lord, I pray right now that you would call each and every person in here, including me, to a renewed commitment to sharing you with people. That we would just all as one simply say, Jesus, I'm going to obey you. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender to you. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Lord, we love You. Let Your Spirit move in this place, calling us to You. I ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. At this time, our instrumentalists are going to come forward. We're going to sing together hymn number 150. And let me challenge you. As God is weighing on your heart, won't you be obedient to Him? Perhaps you today need to get out from this pew where you're seated or standing. Walk this aisle and talk with me about the decision you're making for Christ. Or perhaps you need to come down here to the front and renew your commitment to following Him. Maybe you need to join a church. This is the time when you do that. Perhaps you need to be baptized. Now is the time when you would express that desire. Let's stand and sing together hymn number 150 as our instrumentalists come and play and lead us in song.